Hello and welcome to the Digital Orthodontist Live. We have a very special episode today. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagel, and I'm joined by CEO and President of Align Technology, Joe Hogan. Uh, we're coming to you here from the lovely Align Technology Global Headquarters in Tempe, Arizona, which is just outside of Phoenix. It is beautiful. You can kind of see that behind us. Uh, we're going to spend the next hour together covering the good and the misunderstood of Joe's time at Invisalign. And I'm also going to be asking some doctor-submitted questions that came through my Facebook group. My sincere hope today is that hearing directly from the source will allow us as orthodontists to form a more accurate opinion and understanding about Align, its products, and its services. As a disclaimer, because we love disclaimers on this show, uh, this podcast has not been sponsored by Align. Uh, they were kind enough, kind enough rather, to let us use their studio space, which is great. It's getting a little toasty under these lights, but thank you for uh, making sure that we didn't have to ship all these lights. To check all these lights, I think Alan's uh, checked bag fees were pretty high, uh, <laughs> but it was lower than it would have been otherwise. So thank you. Uh, thank you to Madeline, who's over there in the corner, for putting makeup on me because I have very pale skin. Thank you, Madeline. Um, to be clear, I did write these interview questions. I approached a line approached Joe's team to do this, and he was kind enough to say yes. And I'm here today as an independent orthodontist who uh, wanted to have a conversation. Uh, I've been sponsored by my digital marketing agency, Neon Canvas, and those are our disclaimers. So, Joe, how are you doing? Doing great. Great. Thanks Appreciate for doing this. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to start with some personal questions, if that's okay, yeah. because uh, you know I take it everyone watching knows your name. They know kind of what you do as CEO of Align, but they may not know who you are. Uh, so I read that you were born in Pittsburgh. I'm a big food guy. I've always wanted to visit Pittsburgh. I've never made it over there, maybe one day. Um, but Pittsburgh's known for having some uh, kind of like, you know, extension of the Midwest, some really like high calorie special sure. foods, you know, some unique foods. Uh, whenever you get back to Pittsburgh, are there any foods or restaurants you just have to try? Yeah, I grew up uh, in a mill town, uh, New Brighton, Beaver Falls area, about 20 miles west of Pittsburgh. And so uh, it's very ethnic. And uh, so, you know, you pierogies every once in a while from the, okay. the Polish population. But yep. probably the restaurant I, is a, a hot dog shop in New Brighton, which is chili hot dogs and cheese and those kinds of things. Okay. But, but Pittsburgh, when you're talking about it too, Kyle, the Pramani Brothers up in the Strip District, sure. those kind of areas, those are really special foods that are fun to, yeah. to experience when you're there. That's a sandwich with fries on it, right? Yeah, okay, exactly I love right. the idea of that. So yeah. I, I did some research on Pittsburgh. You probably know this, but just fun facts for you. Just trying to warm you up here. Um, Heinz Ketchup, the Clark Bar, and the Big Mac all originated in Pittsburgh. Apparently that's true. So I um, also read that you played college basketball, which is awesome. I'm a huge sports fan. love basketball, love football. Uh, what school did you go to and what position did you play? I played for a Division three school, Geneva College, out of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I was recruited there out of school. And um, I played uh, shooting guard. Nice. And, uh, and so it's a shooting guard. You're your number two guard, so you bring the ball up the court sometimes. You pass, you shoot. But I'll tell you, Kyle, I would have given my left arm for a three-point line and a 30-second <laughs> clock, right? <laughs> it's just, the Fair game's enough. changed so much. Yeah, see, right, if, yeah. You, if you'd only done that, you wouldn't even be here today. Yeah, you'd be well, NBA I'd, 75. I'd be limping around probably. Exactly. Uh, I was a two-guard, actually, in 10th grade really? in Paragold, Arkansas. Yeah, oh. not very good at it, yeah. but that's why I quit in 10th grade. Uh, what were you best at when it came, when it came to basketball? I was a shooter. That was my job. Okay, so the three-point line would have been helpful. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Let's jump in, though, with the the meat of this. As I sort of alluded to, there's a lot of questions floating around about Invisalign, about a line. There's a lot of things that people want to learn more about. And so I think it's nice to, again, take an hour 
and just kind of try to hit it all. Exactly. So this is going to be a greatest hits of Joe Hogan and a line. Um, since being founded in 1997 as an alternative to traditional braces, over 12 million patients have received Invisalign treatment from over 212,000 Invisalign-trained orthodontists and dentists in more than 90 countries. First, that's incredible. That's a very good intro. Uh, what would you say, though, are the key ways that Invisalign has helped to change and improve the practice of orthodontics? It's a good question, Kyle. I, I think, you know, we, obviously we've ushered in digital orthodontics. And like you said, we started in 1997 and we didn't start where we are today, right? There's an evolution we had to go through to really learn how to move teeth with, with plastic, but it's really moving it with code, with software code that mm -hmm. is expressed in that plastic that I think some people miss at times. And so it was an evolution of materials, an evolution of algorithms, an evolution of relationships and understanding of orthodontists and, and their trade and how to go. And so I just say it's been a journey in that sense, but it's a technical journey around digitization. And that's, that's our contribution, I think, to changing some of the work practices and all that go into orthodontics. Sure. Yeah, and that's a huge field now, as, as obviously, as you know, a digital orthodontics. I'm the digital orthodontist. That was really more of a reference to social media and that sort of thing, which is a whole other thing that didn't exist 25 years ago, no, too. But sure. uh, that's great. Um, so you became president and CEO of Align Technology in June of 2015, which seems like a long time ago, but it's really only six, seven years, I guess. That's um, yeah. But uh, since then, I think objectively, you look at Align as a company, it's grown rapidly, it's grown consistently during that time. You've expanded into many different countries. Um, what do you most attribute this success from 2015 through to today to? Well, you know, first of all, I inherited a great team yeah. and, uh, and a really good platform with Itero being here. And then also, at that point in time, we were doing probably 60, 65% of the clinical cases out there. And then the technology in place to be able to do Invisalign first, you know, for palate expansion and do mandibular advancement, it, it took that. So I'd say inheriting a great company, uh, good technology track and understanding, and a good skeleton in the sense of the internationalization of the business. And so, um, I, you know, it's, it's not often as a CEO you come in from the outside to a company that's been, you know, well-managed. And mm -hmm. Tom Prescott left a great company. So that, that was a good start. I had a good platform to work from. And not like a lot of things to repair in order to move yeah. the company forward. Yeah, that's great. That that's great. What about your proudest moment as CEO at Align? You know, I'm not a proud kind of a person. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm kind of just, I like doing things and seeing results. Mm -hmm. And what I feel best about is the team I have here. And now I know that sounds like a politically correct answer, right? Um, but it's how I really feel. I have a, a great team of people here that we feel we have a good purpose good momentum around what we do and we really feel it's purposeful that you know giving smiles working with mm -hmm. doctors to provide smiles with people truly changes lives in a good way and so that's what i feel the best about that i feel like we're contributing in a good way to orthodontics yeah for sure yeah that's what i always say about orthodontics when people ask me about doing it you know when you interview for orthodontics you interview for dentistry or really for anything you always lead with your um you know uh, beauty pageant answers yeah. right so yeah. i want to change the world i want to you know bring world peace through you know every smile that i straighten or whatever you know yeah. but orthodontics at the end of the day you know you're not selling used cars i mean you're doing a, right. a good service for people that people opt into because they want to do it so right. yeah along those lines i mean it's it's yeah. great and to know that you've helped straighten 12 million teeth through software that you've overseen and yeah. it's great with and a we big, feel huge team how many people on your team um, well, right now, we on my team directly, I have 11, 12 people. Uh -huh. uh, globally, though, we've added in six years roughly 15,000 employees. Yeah. 
And that makes you feel good too, right? Sure. You're providing jobs and a career yeah. and opportunity and learning for people. And uh, growing a business is a real privilege. And when you can grow it that way, it's mm -hmm. just, it's satisfying. I totally agree. Okay. Um, so let's get into this. Uh, you know, people want to know like what's next for Invisalign. I mean, you, you look at those 25 years and you kind of like laid it out as a continuum. There's been a lot of, you know, major changes along that mm -hmm. timeline. Um, what can you share with us about the next few years from Invisalign? Is there anything big on the horizon that yeah. you can tell us about? Yeah, sure. I mean, we spend, uh, this year we'll spend over $300 million in engineering and IT. And so, you know, a lot of people don't, at least outside the industry, don't understand we're truly a tech company. We spend mm -hmm. so much money in that sense. We're a brand tech company. And so that $300 million is going through really two areas is, you know, one material science and how we improve materials and move forward because that's a big part of mm -hmm. how you move teeth, Kyle, which you understand better than me. And then secondly is the algorithms that are in our digital platform we put in place with iTero and Virtual Care and ExoCAD and those kind of product lines. And so, you know, what we're doing is investing. There is R&D, right? The R meaning true research because companies haven't had the money to do the kind of research that we're privileged to do. And then the development piece is how do you bring that to market? And we bring that to market together with our doc doctor partners. That's our commitment. Um, and so that's what I'm excited about. And I can just, I can't tell you the specifics about it, but um, well, just one, we just uh, did ClinCheck Live update. You know ClinCheck well, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the idea that we can, you can scan a patient, we can basically kick that back to you without touching a technician in, in about five minutes. And then through 3D controls, you can make any adjustments you want to and send it right to manufacturing. Is, as cool. you know, is a breakthrough, right? Yeah, and sure. I think it sounds like, well, you know, why didn't you do that 20 years ago? It's, it, it just takes that long to understand what needs to be done and to have the systems lined out to and then enable you to do that. So it's those kind of things we're excited about because it's productivity for the doctors. Sure. I think it, it keeps you from doing clean checks over the weekend. It's just, I think it just it helps patients to see their smile almost up front in real time. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's an exciting vision. Well, something like that can change literally the whole workflow of how you do things. And so you could theoretically, you know, scan after the consultation and have it sent off right yes. then. I, I love the idea of not kicking cans down the road yes. from an efficiency standpoint. Yeah. And uh, that's great. That's great yeah. to hear. So I'm a Mac user. So I was just glad that a few years ago I was able to uh, do clean checks on <laughs> my know, computer. We had to get it to the cloud, you know, yeah. and once we got it to the cloud, I yeah. couldn't because I use a Mac myself. That was the like, biggest moment for me yeah. personally. But um, I had parallels and was trying to make it work like that. So thank you for yeah. to whoever did that. Yeah. Uh, I love Macs. So. Um, so I've got some specific questions that'll maybe come out of left field, but I think it's related to yeah, sort sure. of future plans. Yeah. You may or may not be able to speak to this, but, uh, I've got a group and some doctors ask questions. So Dr. Darren Forcier, he asked a question and I have to say that my clinical assistants all asked to co-sign <coughs> to this is when are you coming out with pre-filled attachment templates? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's obviously a very labor intensive part. Of your, of your practice and with your technicians too. We know that. And, and I'm lazy. Um, well, I think we're all lazy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're all lazy. And we like that to me, that's a workflow issue is who does the work? Do we do that and send it to you or do you do that? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Ideally what you want to do is you want to change that whole process together and get it down to five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see us within the next year, uh, launch a process that actually does that. Great. That your technicians will love. Um, it'll be much more exact than where you can put those attachments and into why. Um, again, I don't want to just reveal the technology because it's done, but we're we want to address that issue, but not by moving labor around. We just want to revolutionize how that's done in a better way, and you'll see that soon. Well, we will all be excited about that, and I will accept the the flirtation to an answer 
over no answer at all. <laughs> so I, I like that. That's good. So something coming this year. You've heard it here first, or maybe you heard it before. I don't know, but it's the first I've heard. Um, so let's get into this. This is, you know, there's a couple questions that seem to come up most often, uh, topics that seem to come up most often. And obviously, when you're talking about orthodontics in today's market, there are a, a ton, I won't say a ton, there are a lot, let's say, of different orthodontic models. And many of these have cropped up over the last five to 10 years. Sure. Um, direct to consumer or DTC aligners are naturally a huge topic of conversation with orthodontists uh, these days. Over the last six months, a lot of that calculus has changed. Some companies getting out of DTC, some of them not maybe performing so well. Um, So some changes there. But why has Align, during all this, chosen a doctor-focused approach? Well, our history has been with doctors. And I think so we have the most history in digital orthodontics than any other company, and we know what works and what doesn't work. Mm. And what we feel is orthodontics is a serious science. You're moving teeth through bone. Uh, and only in the hands of a, of a good orthodontist or a good trained practitioner can you actually get what's really the worth of the product line and guarantee as much as possible the, the clinical acceptance of that product from the patient's standpoint. And so we just feel like yeah, you work through doctors. That's the best expression we can get through the products that we make. And we don't want to change that. On the other side of the business equation, when you see you know the DTC companies that are going on out there, many are retreating, trying to go back and work through the doctors, which, right. you know, Again, I look at that and I just say it's a verification that our model works. The great thing about, or the tough things for these companies that work through doctors is you have to have technology, not just a marketing program. Mm -hmm. And that technology takes time, it takes money, and so we feel like that's our territory. And it takes, I think, good sales reps, good technicians, there's a lot of support mechanisms that have to go through that. So I feel really good about that decision. We've kept that decision all over the world, and there's no plans to change that because that's the foundation of what we believe in. Sure. I think that'd be like the one thing that people want to hear more than anything. And I think kind of along those lines, uh, what are your future plans with DTC and the DTC space? And then how do you plan to support doctors moving forward? Well, I mean, we support doctors in a lot of ways and we Mm -hmm. can get into those questions, but our plans are not to move into DTC at all. Right. Um, I kind of sit back and watch what's happening, but you know, you don't, I'm kind of a student of business too. Um, you can look at home mattresses, you can look at uh, Dollar Shave Club, you can look at, um, you know, Allbird Shoes. These DTC models aren't making money. Mm-hmm. Um, the business model is challenging in the sense of what it costs to secure a patient and the technology, the kind of thin technology that's then delivered through that patient to make this work. So this is not a phenomenon that's just going on in orthodontics. Sure. Um, and so, you know, what, what do we plan to do? We continue to invest heavily in the business, invest heavily in the brand to advertise to consumers, to drive those patients to your offices, to asking for Invisalign and digital orthodontic care. We'll continue to do what we know how to do and what we believe in. Well, I support that. That's a great answer. Um, another common concern that I hear about aligners this is going to be a question of the cost of aligners. Uh, is their higher overhead cost uh, when compared to traditional metal braces. Um, if you're a new doctor, if you're a small office, or if you don't do very many Invisalign cases, the price can be one of the highest in the market. Um, when you think about a practice like this, and you're trying to convince them to do more Invisalign, increase their share of chair, whatever you want to say, uh, how do you expect them to do that to scale uh, and maintain profitability mm-hmm. relative to other aligner systems or to traditional braces? Yeah, it's a really fair, fair question. 
you know, when I first took over this job, you know, I'm a business guy, and mm-hmm. you know, I talked to orthodontists. I said, you know, what do you charge? You know, what what do you buy wires and brackets for? And they would tell me two fifty, three hundred dollars. We buy them up front, Joe, and whatever. Yeah. And I'm thinking, just like you said, okay, if you're buying this Invisalign at full price, it's like you know, two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And you think, wow, that's a big increase in variable cost. And so. In a digital age, we know that. When you put together your practice, right, you're not on a paper system. You had to buy a DPMS system, right? It's, it's, it's a lot more expensive than paper, but you're putting a foundation in place for productivity. Sure. And that's what I believe. If you want to do digital orthodontics, you have to be serious about it. If you dabble in it, it's going to be frustrating because the margins can't be, you know, what would it be sure. if you were just using wires and brackets? But think about Think how important your time is, right? Your time, your personal time as an orthodontist is the most precious thing in your practice. If you're doing emergency cases on weekends, if you're standing over a patient every four weeks adjusting wires, when you could just be handing out aligners, monitoring remotely, really leveraging a digital platform that allows you to be more productive and your technicians more productive, that's what the digital age is about. You do spend money up front, but you end up with a system that is, you you walk through it, makes your time more productive, your technician more productive, your real estate time more productive too. And frankly, digital orthodontics can be more attractive to patients also. So I look at it as an investment, but you have to be full in. If you're not full in, I think you'll continue to have frustrations and think I'm paying too much money, you know, even at certain, you know, stages like, you know, a bronze or a gold within our business. So it is digital requires an upfront understanding of how to do this and an upfront investment, but can pay off massively because you can relegate your resources and your time in a better way. Sure. Yeah, that's great. I mean, obviously that in and of itself is a very long conversation. And I think you got to the main parts and kind of what I expected you would say. Um, the other reality is, is that, uh, you know, it's a changing, well, it's a changing marketplace, you could say. So patients want different things. And so yes. we have some patients that I could never convince to do braces. And then where I'm at in Memphis, very urban area, there are a lot of people who really do want braces. And so that's a whole nother, like, you know, longer conversation. Yeah. So I think that the modern orthodontist needs to be capable of doing all that. And it's not just Invisalign that has the challenge of trying to convince people to pay more for a product or a unique, you know, treatment offering um, with other digital systems that are now braces or custom braces, or there's a lot of those that are out now. Uh, they're having that same task. And yeah. so it is that break point. And as a business, you have to decide where the efficiencies matter the most. Right. Uh, Jonathan Nicosesis, I think the most, frequent guest of the show actually oh so, is he jonathan? hey jonathan yeah he is he's great he's hi hilarious. jonathan i love yeah. jonathan too. hey jonathan um he's probably watching this this is not donut juice this is water that's an inside <laughs> joke um but he talks about the plastic employee and yeah. makes you know an argument for how you can reduce other areas of overhead and so i'll let other people argue through those things i'll just say it as simply as this is that uh in my sort of coming up on mature practice i started from scratch eight and a half years ago having aligners is, is really really essential part of what we do um so it's not all we do um, but we've got it to a, a, a place where from a margin perspective it works it's for great. us so um yeah all right well let's get down into this i want to talk about the scanner the otero scanner i'm proud to say i was the, i think it was the first person in the state of tennessee to have uh what would it even been called like the otero flex oh the original yeah the flex. Well, not the not the not, not the original one because I'm, I'm a young guy but so like the flex yeah the yeah. flex yeah, i guess sure. it was called yeah. um i think i think i'm saying that right i may be saying that wrong and if i am i apologize how do you like um it? oh it's great it's good. yeah but i remember like taking a photo with it i was so excited about it. it's my first <laughs> scanner so um so we use those in our practice uh they work great for us team loves them I like how s- simple they are to, to send, and it's it's all that I want. Um, but of course, not every orthodontist uses scanners the same way. I know people that are you know are hobbyists; they have printers in their basement, and like 
they think of scanners and 3D technology a lot different than I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so while orthodontists they can take, you know, what they scan on an iTerra, they can export it as an STL file and mm-hmm. they can send that wherever they want. Uh, your current automated workflow is limited to sending files directly to a line, of mm-hmm. course, and then to dental laboratories. And so we right. use it for our expanders and things yeah. like that. Um, do you have any plans in the future to expand the capabilities of your automated scan workflow to other clear aligner mm-hmm. providers? It's a long question. Yeah. So. No, but it's a good question because we get that all the time. You know, it, it, when you and you know this because you, ha- you have a scanner, Kyle, is is uh, this is an STL three file. three scanners, but yes. Yeah, it's like a di- it's like a DICOM file, okay, yeah. with a CBCT. Sure. You can export it anywhere you want to export it. So yeah. if you want to export uh, an iTero file to, um, you know, to, to, true, to, to Shore Smile, you can do that if you mm-hmm. want to. What we do is we feel like we pack a lot of productivity inside that iTero for you to order to do Invisalign cases. And you'll see that more and more. And so we feel it's to your advantage to, you know, use our system to do that. But we're not, you know, that's an open system. We're not forcing anyone to do that. Mm-hmm. If they want to send that on to, you know, Invista, they want to send that on to, you know, Serona or someone, it, welcome to do that. You can do that. Um, that's That's been, you know, our position on the business. And I don't think it violates the idea of an open system. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I, th- I think the question that people, you know, people always want more out of something. And yeah. You know, they don't give iTeros away, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and if they want to, they can give one to me. Yeah. Um, but from an automated perspective, yeah. is it just easier to keep it kind of limited to those things? Is that kind of the mm-hmm. the plan or? Well, you know, I might be misinterpreting your question, too, okay. Kyle, sure. is, um, is just, uh, and I feel like with an STL format, which is a commodity yeah. format, you can do anything with your file you want to. Sure. You can send it to the moon if you want to, right? right. Because the algorithms on the other side know the format of an STL file, and they'll unravel it, sure. and they'll translate it into that company's protocol and, and be able to move on. So yeah. as far as us taking, like, a three-shape scan, if that's what you mean, like, no, 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 scan I, or something. Yeah, let me clarify. Thing. What I mean is, like, when you scan, as, as you finish the scan, you can click where you want it to go. Yeah. And so there's an automated system for obviously submitting it for Invisalign and then you can actually send it to like the dental lab that I use. You can send it to them, yeah, sure. but you couldn't send it to a company that makes clear aligners like automated. What you'd have to do is, you know, go online and drag the STL file and then upload it. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of the question I've had people asking. And that's something we're not against. It's just, yeah. how do we prioritize that in sure. the sense of the, the development we have today? But yeah. that kind of, we have worked specifically with some companies. Sure. Uh, Christian Coachman, you know, in digital know smile design. Yeah. Uh, we have that kind of workflow with him, and we put really? that in place. So, you know, if our customers or, you know, our, our doctors need that kind of workflow, we'll certainly entertain it. Okay, cool. Um, again, it doesn't apply to me, but I know a lot of people ask about that kind of thing. So yeah. uh, we did have some doctor-submitted questions, which I think are always great because it allows me to sort of get a pulse on what other people want to ask about. Because, again, my practice and the way that I see things is very different than a lot of people. And, you've, of course, you found that with <laughs> – all the orthodontists that are out there, and not just this country, but other countries that think very differently than me. But um, Dr. Ryan Hurley, a really amazing orthodontist who I've learned a ton about uh, orthodontics from, uh, he asked, how concerned is Align with in-house aligners? Is there any plan to release software to allow for direct in-house printing? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've entertained that. We've had that question for a while. Uh, you know, his question is, how concerned are we? Mm-hmm. It's not a competitive concern there. I think if a doctor wants to do their own in-house aligners, and you actually think that's productive and you can make these well to move teeth with good algorithms, you know, I think that's obviously your professional decision to be able to make that. But remember, we make a million aligners a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, from almost, you know, a bias standpoint is like, why do you want to play with that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not 
printing sounds fun, but you know, when it clogs up, when you have to clean it, when your technician doesn't show up, all those things. And I turn around, and I think, Cal, if you want a retainer from us today, we can get that to you in two days. Yeah. Two days. Uh, if you want to, you know, Right now, I think our lead times are in the five-day you know, area. Mm-hmm. And so I think from a professional standpoint, you have to decide what you want to be good at, right? We want to be good at making aligners, getting them to you as quickly as possible. Um, at some point in time, do you, you know, is it important when that, when that patient's in the office that you have that thing printed, ready to go when the patient goes out? Um, I understand that need, but if, if you can work around that in two days, I'd, my feeling from a business standpoint is, man, let us handle that. We know how to do that. Keep that kind of work out of your office in the sense of it's distracting. If you really like the technology, you really want yeah. to get into it or whatever, I mean, I, I move ahead. It's just back to the question you asked yeah. about efficiency yeah. and, you know, how do you make a digital system work or whatever. Uh, you just want to be streamlined and focused as much as you possibly can, in, in my yeah. you know, humble sure. opinion. That's great. Um, all right. So this following question came up several times, and this is a more recent situation. And so this is a very pointed question. Uh, it's been a few months, but. Why did you start charging for refinements? Uh, this is the per order processing fee. There was some buzz around this for sure. And a lot of people said, well, why don't you just increase the case fee for new cases? Yeah. I think where people were upset was maybe just on having existing cases that then now they'll be getting some extra fees on. Yeah. Of course, there's inflation, but yeah. w- what was the reasoning behind that? Well, first of all, it's a fair and good question. Okay? Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, we all know that inflation's hitting everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And so it does come down to a decision. You have to cover your cost and you have to move on price in one way or another. Uh, and in the end, it's my decision is exactly how to go about this. What mm-hmm. I thought, and maybe I was in error, but what I thought was, well, why not just raise price where you're really having issues, which is your shipping costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, customers or doctors will understand that more because rather than a wholesale price increase of four or five percent, like you know some sure. of our competitors have done out there, that's kind of indiscriminate. I thought the one that you discriminate on that specific cost would be more appreciated. So in the United States, we said $10 when we ship something. And I thought $10, I know that's, you know, accumulated a practice that does a lot of digital is a lot of money, but I just thought it was more fair than saying, okay, I'm going to increase my price four to 5%. Um, Look in these situations, Cal, you never know if you're wrong or right. Mm -hmm. But I thought we did what was most fair in this situation because we hit the cost and we do we, we transferred that value uh, over you know to our customer base and it wasn't just a broad based price increase that looked like it was just a response for an, to an opportunity to increase price. Sure, does yeah. that make sense? It it I mean, totally makes sense. I, I guess you know you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're reacting to, and, yeah. and not everyone wants to do that. Not want, not everyone wants to be empathetic, or yeah. maybe they don't want to put themselves in your shoes. I don't know, yeah. but um, I think that. I guess where people seemed frustrated was, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just the idea that, well, I've already got cases going and I'm going to get charged more than what I thought I was committing to kind of a thing. Uh, I understand from your perspective, you've got to make up the difference somehow. Um, And I would also think that there's probably a break point on the overall cost for the the treatment. You don't want that to push above 2000 perhaps or something like that. So like, I understand it. I think it's helpful to hear from your mouth kind of what your thinking was on it and, as you said, other companies had to do the same sort of thing. So it's not like it's just a unique to right. align decision. Yeah. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, so and it's not like we're going to change the, the decision right now or anything. No, so no just, I, I, I just, can't, you know, yeah. don't want to change it, but I, I really, it was, it came from that premise. Sure. Is let's, let's, if we're going to raise price, let's raise it where the cost really are. Yeah. And 
that was that yeah. was the foundation of it. It makes sense. People may not like it, but it makes sense. All right. So another question from a doctor, Dr. Heather Horton Van Tassel. That is a beautiful name. Uh, there are many in orthodontics who want to decrease our carbon footprint. Recycling aligners would be a great advancement, but may take some time to really get it right. But it seems that autoclavable tips for the Itero scanner are something that could be rolled out more easily. Why has this not been done before? Yeah. Well, let's, you know, let's just talk about, we all worry about carbon footprint. We worry about within the business and whatever. Take the, the last question first is when you look at the tips that we have on Itero yeah. scanners, you know, obviously that's a plastic and we fuse that together with glass. Uh, and it becomes, based on being a medical device, it is medical waste. Right. You can't throw that into a normal recycle chain. I grew up in a plastics industry. I know this thing well, right? Mm -hmm. So there, we are, from a legislative standpoint, our hands are tied in a sense of what you do with that waste. And you mm -hmm. think about just the COVID crisis and how much plastic waste has been created through that that can't be recycled it ends up in dump yards. Sure. So we, now, an autoclavable sleeve in the future, that's a possibility. But based on our current design and the current legislation, that, that's what we offer and that's what we have. In the future, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have that kind of a consideration. On aligners themselves... Um, you know, again, it's medical waste, uh, but we do have recycling programs out there that we're trialing in around the world okay. and doctor's offices to accumulate those. But you can't, you can't ever put those back in someone's mouth. You can't right. use those. So they, I've tried, Joe, that it doesn't, does it fit <laughs> always, you know? That's right. Unless they, they have children and maybe there's some right, genetics that you could yeah, follow. Yeah, some genetic crossover there. Yeah, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, but, but so you end up reclaiming these, you grind mm -hmm. them up, you put them in some kind of aggregate of concrete or something like that. Sure. Uh, that, that gives them, you know, another life rather than a, a dump yard. But being medical waste, it's uh, it's it's one you have to be concerned with. Sure. And how it's used. Okay. Well, you know, that's the sort of question that's some people are going to be really interested in that. Some probably haven't even thought about it. Yeah. Couldn't care less. You, um, you what I'll add to that too is um, what we do a lot that you don't see is how much money we save internally hmm. through being um, more efficient in the use of plastics hmm. and the way we laser cut, right? And the way we actually have that web design when you do vacuum form over top of that, you know, that mold that we make hmm. through D 3D printing. Um, you could save a significant amount of volume. And since you save it in a specific area too, it's easier to be able to move that away because it's in a centralized location when you have that waste too when it's produced. So I think we do address it. It's just as soon as it goes out and it's used as a medical device, your hands become tied in a sense of where it can be used and how you retrieve it. Sure. Well, it sounds like y'all are working on some creative solutions, so that's that's great. Yeah. Um, you just alluded to it, but uh, maybe people know this. I didn't know this, but your background is in plastics. I want you to actually just real quick tell me what your background is in plastics. Yeah. Well, I actually, um, I when I graduated from school, my first job out of college in 1980 I was with a steel company called okay. Babcock and Wilcox in Pittsburgh, and I studied metallurgy. Okay, and I had to study metallurgy because you know I was in the in the steel business and whatever and. And then in 1985, I moved to uh, become a salesman at a place called GE Plastics. General Electric had a plastics mm -hmm. division. It was engineering thermoplastics. And so I had to study thermoplastics then. And the great thing about that, Kyle, is uh, the properties of steel and the way you measure tensile strength and notched izod and elongation of break and tensile strength are the same properties that you measure when mm -hmm. you're doing plastics, right? It's just at a different energy threshold, but it's still a raw material. So when I was funny, one of the things that I first came in, and uh, Srini Kaza, who runs really the really scopey R&D work that we do with material science, I said, so what are the liners made out of? And he said, Joe, no one ever asked me that. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what is it? Polycarbon is a polyethylene terephthalate. Yeah. What is it? And so it's been fun for me <laughs> and the team here to be able to communicate because I know enough about plastic to be dangerous. Sure. You know? And uh, 
and how they work and how they don't work. So that's been a fun part of this job and, and one that's really motivating too because I can understand the science and help to fund things that we are excited about. That's cool. I just have to say, I didn't know that you had a background in the two most important like materials to orthodontics. I do. Yeah, Steel I do. and plastic. That's yeah. that's news. Um, uh, so a lot of new aligner systems along this you know kind of concept of plastic, and thanks for sharing that with us, um, they're coming out, and of, co- and of course, if you're if you're launching on a market, you, you got to find your, you know, kind of your marketing. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. you got to find your niche or yeah. whatever it is you're going to market. Um, unique unique selling proposition. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these uh, systems are coming out, and they're more focused on perhaps their plastics or that how they have a new and a different plastic, or they have a clearer plastic, or they have this kind of plastic, or they've got options for plastics. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come back to Invisalign and we talk about you know 25 years, uh, the plastic has not changed in several years. I don't know how many that's been, but um, the system is still pretty reliant on attachments, and then we only have the one option of plastic. So to, to kind of those questions, why is that the case? Mm-hmm. Well, let's pull attachments out for a second because okay. I think the rotated tooth extrude, intrude, or whatever, it's going to be hard to you know ever get away from sure. attachments completely. Yep. I'd say we challenge ourselves sometimes are we you know specifying too many attachments, we can come back to that. Um, Remember, we got the smart track, and smart track is a tri-layer material. It's mm-hmm. two materials, right? Really, a basic polyurethane, and then a copolyester. You know, polyester is polyester is like is like a soda can, right? Mm-hmm. But a copolyester is is basically a modified polyester in some way. Um, and so, when we came together with smart track, I mean, we looked at literally you know thousands of materials. Remember, in polymer science too, when you start with plastics, you say, okay, all these plastics are out there, and then you say, I need it clear. And all of a sudden, cow goes like this. Okay, it's like ten <laughs> percent of the plastics are clear. Now, once you have them clear, you say, oh, "Now they got to be able to be a lot." You know, from a toxicity standpoint, mm-hmm. you got to not have it right. Now it gets like this, and so your choice of plastics becomes somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Since we were first in the market and we did a huge amount of material science, we ended up with Smart Track, two polyurethane layers, co-polyester in the middle. Um, you can see our competition realizing that that plastic really matters because what you're doing, I could bore you all day, Cal, it's really cool, is in material science and plastics, you get amorphous materials which are known to be very ductile, which we want impact strength, you want a certain amount of just hard modulus versus crystalline materials that give you good chemical resistance uh, but and good tensile strength. And you kind of want those both in a liner. Sure. So the only way to get them is you have to co-extrude them or laminate them in order to put them together. We feel we've found the two materials that work the best. Now our competitors, as they get into this market, they're understanding that too. We have certain patents approved and from just, you know, and so what you're seeing out there are derivatives of smart track around what we do. Um, I'll stop there. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I know, you know, let's say doctors that are using in-house aligners. Like I've talked to some of them that will use three or four or five different plastics. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that almost feels like when you're using 10 wires, you know, we had uh, doctors who, who taught us, God bless them, in, in residency that you, you'd go through 10 different wires in a, in, yeah. in a case. And it was like, this is not efficient. And yeah. So most of us have, you know, two to four wires is kind of the average, usually more like three to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, you could think of plastics similarly. And so there are some companies that will offer like a more rigid or more flexible. Um, and then there's some that like you yeah. sort of got at, you could have it look clearer, but it's going to lose some of the other properties. Right. And so I, it's just a curiosity of, you know, Kelly, let me you know, tell you, this is what's, this is what's different between metal and plastic. So there's an sure. issue with plastics called hygroscopic. Mm-hmm. And the hygroscopic pieces, when you immerse plastics in water, yeah. some of them absorb that water. Okay. It plasticizes the molecule, 
and a 300,000 modulus becomes a 20,000 modulus in five hours, mm. right? So what I worry about when I hear with orthodontists sometimes, I say, I like that plastic because it's, you know, it feels rigid. It's going to really help with the closing. And I'm thinking, that's rigid now. You put that yeah. thing in someone's mouth and it's it's actually has a lower modulus than smart track after about three or four hours. So you can't take what you understand in metallurgy sure. and necessarily apply that with plastics. Mm -hmm. You have to overlay it with how hygroscopic is this material and what tensile strength do I really end up with? And the other part of it too is deformation. And so hygroscopic materials will deform at times too. So when you pull them out of your mouth, if the liner deforms when it goes back in, it's not gonna have the kind sure. of, you know, the algorithms aren't going to work the way that was programmed. So we feel, we feel we haven't offered another kind of plastic because we feel SmartTrack services both those extremely well. That our competitors are offering two or three sometimes, we kind of understand that too. Yeah, sure. That's great. It's a good, okay. good answer. If it works and if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, all right. So a little bit about marketing. I'm a, I'm a marketing guy, at least on, in, on part-time basis. Um, but uh, Invisalign obviously generates a ton of awareness for doctor-directed orthodontics. I mean, you made Invisalign a household name, so kudos to you for that. You have a myriad of marketing initiatives, commercial sponsorships, online ads, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm a big NFL fan. I watch NFL every Sunday. I watch Who's your team? Red Zone. You know, it's an interesting question, who's my team? I'm really, and this will sound cringe to a lot of people, I grew up in Arkansas, as I told yeah. you. Who do you cheer for if you grow up in Arkansas? Razorbacks. In the NFL. Yeah, oh, oh, in the NFL. Well, in the you, NFL? You were right with your answer. You cheer yeah. for the Razorbacks. Yeah, you cheer yeah. for college. You, yeah. you don't really have an NFL team. So at the time when I was a kid, the Cowboys were a state over. They were great. You had Aikman and Smith and sure, all yeah. that, you know, ne yeah. Neon Dion and all that good stuff. Yeah. They were great, and they were winning, so it was easy to cheer for them. I love Deion Sanders. He's yeah. great. Go ahead. Yeah, he is great. awesome. Yeah. We could talk about Deion Sanders yeah. for about 20 minutes. Um, but the next 25 years of the Dallas Cowboys have not really been in line with what I like in a sports team. And I also, as I grew up, I came to realize they're sort of the Yankees of the NFL. No offense to the Yankees. They're sort of the Lakers, the NBA. So they're that team that everybody likes. It's like, I don't really want to be a Cowboys fan. So I claim the Cowboys, but I really just like the game. And I'm a fantasy football uh, aficionado. I've won four years in a row uh, in wow, a 12-team really? league. I really did, wow. yeah. Made the made the Super Bowl six years in a row. I know no one cares, but I love fantasy no, football. It, it Somehow it fits all my strengths. Um, <laughs> so I really love cheering for players, and so there's a lot of players that I really like. But anyway, sorry for that very long and drawn-out answer no, about the NFL. One. But as I'm watching the NFL, yeah. and I see Invisalign come up all the time, and obviously you do a good job on your social media channels uh, talking about those initiatives and things too. Yeah. Um, so, so great to have the Invisalign brand everywhere because it makes people more aware of the services that I provide. Um, one part of your marketing strategy is the concierge program. Yeah. Okay, So this is a program, if you're not familiar, where digital leads are directed into the offices of doctors who use Invisalign. There's some complaints about that, which I'll take a little step aside and say, I'm sure it's frustrating when people complain about something that you're trying to do to help them. I get that. So let's just get sure. that out of the way. Yep. Um, but some doctors do complain that concierge patients, maybe they don't show up as often, or maybe they don't convert at the same rate as their traditional pool of patients. Right. Or maybe they complain, well, I never get any concierge patients. Or there's different complaints that come yeah. up about the program. Yeah. I want to think that there's something maybe that we're missing about mm -hmm. it. And I want to think that there's a way that we can both mm -hmm. mutually benefit from the concierge program. So what are some ways maybe that we can capitalize yeah. on that program? Let me start from like a, a step back from a conceptual view, yeah. right? We'll spend probably $150 million this year in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Uh, driving patients to you know, doctor's offices. And so you know DocLock and how DocLock works, right? If mm. see an advertisement on TV, I'm interested in Invisalign, 
uh, you query on it, you know, you might do a smile view and you might say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm in Arkansas. And so, uh, you know, who would use Invisalign? Yeah. Obviously you're going to be on top if you're using a lot of Invisalign. So um, we feel that provides a good service to our doctors and obviously provides a good service to us. Uh, we moved in the concierge, ah, goodness, five years ago or so, mm -hmm. because we wanted to be more specific in the sense of, you know, holding customers' hands and moving them to practices that really wanted them. Something to remember, too, in, in, in your question, too, I'm listening very closely, is normal patients, let's just say for, you know, 75%, 80% of your or teen patients in orthodontics in the United States. Those teens come pre-minute, right? Mm -hmm. Their parents have been saving for them. They know they're going to have. They already have, they've mm -hmm. already talked to people around. Mm -hmm. Kyle's the right orthodontist to go to. He did a great job, right? They walk in pre-qualified. Our patients in general are going to be more adultish mm -hmm. or on the upper end of that teen phase. They're interested. They're yeah. not necessarily sold yet. There's something really important is you get those people in your office within 48 hours mm -hmm. because there's a tail on this that just drops off completely. It's, it's, it's almost like an emotional sell. They're interested. Sure. They have that time and window. They feel they have the money to get it done. If you tell them to come in a week later, you good chance you're not going to close that. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I, I also feel, Callum, you know, let you speak is like just what you started with is goodness, we're, we're ushering five to $8,000 through your door, okay? Yeah. If you lose a few, you still get some. Sure. You know, it's, it should yeah. be. I don't see any other competitor out there doing that and advertising to our scale that really, really, I think, in a big way, commercializes and make people aware of digital orthodontics. So as you can tell, I'm passionate about it. I think we do a good service and you let in that way. Yeah. I appreciate it. But when I hear people complain about it, I think, okay, I get that, okay? But there are certain things you could do, especially how soon. Sure. Don't get these people trapped in paper. Most of them are, are very illiterate. Um, they want to be serviced immediately. They don't want to go in and fill out 10 forms. Um, okay, so yeah, lower the threshold very, of entry. Yeah. That's right. There's certain okay. things to really be aware of. Yeah, well... It, it turns out that, you know, the concierge lead is not all that different from a digital lead. And so as a, you know, I co-own a company that provides digital marketing services for orthodontists. And so occasionally we'll get the feedback that, well, they're not converting as high. Yeah. Uh, but it does kind of miss the point of, well, what did you pay for it? How many people started? You know, what is that value to you at the yeah. end of the day? And so yeah. it does require a little bit of a kind of presuppositional shift in terms of how you view the patient who comes into your practice. Yeah. Because as you said, the one that's come from a mom's group where they all love you, who also plays soccer with a mom whose kid goes to your practice, you know, who you're on their insurance and the dentist sent you there, like they're going to convert a hundred times out of a hundred right. unless you get in your way and trip over your feet. Yep. And so it is a little bit different way of approaching it. And so I think it's also important to offer some, you know, maybe more asynchronous or more passive ways of communicating with them on the front end in terms of them coming into your practice. And so yeah. for some people, it's harder for them to actually, you know, want to schedule and physically come in or maybe their job precludes them from that. And so, I think that's a longer conversation. That's a, no, that's a great point. One that I'm very sensitive yeah. to and, and, and trying to adapt my practice to as well. So, oh, that's really um, good. well, keep sending me concierge. I'll take them. So, um, so we've got a few questions left. This has been great. Thanks for doing this. Mm -hmm. um, it's beautiful back here. I don't know if you can tell out there, but it is lovely. There's a man-made lake that they put here in Tempe. It's it's fantastic. It's hard to believe there's water in Arizona, but it's I was gonna say I was like, "This is here," and it was, he was like, "Well, it's man-made." It's like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." But thank God they man-made it. So, um, all right. So one other point of concern, or maybe the most traditional concern, I guess you could say, with Invisalign is um, that you have two customer channels. You've got orthodontists and you've got general dentists. Um, of course, that decision you're off the hook here, Joe, because that was made before your time. Yeah. Um, and as I understand it, there were you know legal reasons for that or, or whatever. It, it is what it is. You yeah. inherited it, um, but 
considering that you have dentists and you have orthodontists, how have you segmented that business between those two groups? And how do you manage to support both groups and keep both groups happy? Yeah, you know, we actually have, in most places in the world, we've segmented our, our sales force between, okay. you know, general dentistry and with orthodontics. And uh, what I've found is, in, in the products that we develop for general dentists, in, in most cases, count that they don't want to be orthodontists. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, someone might just want their teeth straightened. They're more simple cases. They don't want to rotate molars. They don't want to do the d- expansion. Mm-hmm. You don't see them doing Invisalign first, mandibular advancement, those kind of things. And so... I look at a peaceful coexistence between the two is I think we all realize that digital orthodontics can allow you know more people to have their teeth straightened than has been straightened before. And, and so general dentistry is going to pick that up. But in general, I just see the growth, overall growth of orthodontics going up in general mm-hmm. where everybody benefits from it. And I know it sounds like, well, Joe, that's convenient for you to say, but yeah. I, I do think these are the golden years of orthodontics. And in, in the orthodontists that, and I don't know how you handle it, Kyle, but a lot of the orthodontists that I've known over the years that have good Invisalign practices have really good relationships with local GPs mm-hmm. that, that do Invisalign but won't do certain cases and they have a good referral base and what's going yeah. on. So I see this isn't the, the destruction of the orthodontic industry. I think it's the enhancement of it. But to, I think learning the work with GPs in the area and who does what I think is very helpful. Sure. I mean, I came in again like, at a time where this was this was already the reality, so it was not a yeah. shift for me. So I just kind of accepted it, you know. So yeah. um, I I don't want for more cases, you could say, but I know in some areas, you know, it's probably a different situation. You know, it happens to be in my area. There aren't just a ton of general dentists that are doing a lot of orthodontics. I think the concern, really, at the base of this, is just who is best suited or who's best trained to do the orthodontic mm-hmm. treatment. And I'm not asking you to answer that question yeah. or whatever, but um, you know, as an orthodontist, it's like, well, I went to three extra years of school. Like, it's yeah. it's going to be me, you know? So I think ultimately if people are doing well by the patients and they're clear about what they're, you know, are you an orthodontist or are you not? Sometimes we'll hear that feedback. Oh, I didn't yeah. know he was, a, it was an orthodontist. And so of course you can't tell them what to say and not to say yeah. in a consult. Um, and I, I guess I would say I don't really hear that complaint as much as I once did. You know, I, I did. And maybe it's just because the paradigm has shifted. Yeah, you know? I look back seven years ago. I'll be here mm-hmm. seven years in June. Yeah. And I, I don't hear the complaint as much anymore either, which is which is good. Um, you know, we do we do feel like even with norm, normal restorative procedures, we're going to shave a lot of enamel off the adjacent teeth that start mm-hmm. to move in to take over the space. It's just separating the teeth yeah. with the liners to save the enamel and then straighten later on. So sure. I, I think... These, but who's better to straighten teeth? Orthodontist are. You've been trained yeah. to do that in that sense. But, um, you know, can you can simple cases be done by a general dentist? Sure, they can. Sure. And so I think that's what that division is. Right? I, you know, you'd have to look through the data to decide. But that seems to be my understanding. I mean, I get plenty of cases where the dentist said, I don't think I can do Invisalign, but, you know, see if Dr. Kyle can. Yeah. And so that's great. Like, yeah. And I think that's really no different. I think the unique thing for orthodontists is that we existed in a time where unlike endodontics, oral surgery, other things where there is that kind of referral pattern of, hey, this is too hard for me. I'm going to send this over to you. We just got it all. And so we had a a sweet deal for a while. But you could also say that, well, aligners, digital orthodontics has increased the market. And so in that way, everyone's up. Right. You know, so so the, you know the water has has risen yeah. for everybody. So um, it's an interesting conversation because uh, as an endodontist, I talk to endodontists. I feel bad for them because they get cases where the dentist has started the root canal and then they send it over, and it's just like that must be terrible. No, we I don't ever imagine. get that in orthodontics. I mean, very rarely do we get a case that's been started and we have to take it over. Yeah. So um, you know, Cal, just to yeah. finish that out too, sure. is, is, is the J- I like when the JCO puts out like the history 
of what's going on from an orthodontic standpoint, yeah. right? You know, what what cases, how many cases you're doing a year, what's sure. the revenue base? You can see that orthodontics has yeah, been expanding growing. all along, right? Yeah. And so I just I think it's the future of orthodontics is very bright. Yeah. I agree. I love I love orthodontics. So let's do a little bit on education. Thanks for the JCO shout out too. I know those guys will be happy. Um, education is obviously a huge part, really, of any industry, but specific to orthodontics. It's it's important to the future of orthodontics. Um, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Tennessee there in Memphis, and I did four Invisalign cases in residency. Don't get me wrong, I was thrilled to do four. Yeah. Thrilled to do four. Um, however, from an educational perspective, aligner therapy was definitely underrepresented. We had no actual course, and we were kind of like learning it together. And, and God bless all the doctors and professors that helped me with that. Um, I felt, it, again, at the time, this was just what, 10 years ago, I felt good, privileged mm-hmm. you know, to have what I had. Um, I know it's better now. I know that most programs have added aligner-specific focus for the programs. Um, but what role can uh, Align play in uh, partnering with orthodontic programs to improve this education around aligner therapy, and, but also like um, access to aligner cases? Yeah, that's a great question, Cal. So it's something good to report on that, okay? Is yeah. You did the four, you know, you did your four cases, and that's what we've been offering, you know, for a long time. And yeah. we all know that if you're going to learn something, it's really, it's, how do you, how do you, you know, education is learning plus hands-on experience, mm-hmm. right? That's the only, especially in your profession and what you do. So uh, we have a program out this year that we're offering to, you know, all the major institutions in the United States for orthodontics, where we'll be able to double or triple what you've done before. Great. Okay. And then we also have the AIF, which, um, you know, it's Jonathan Nicothesis, right? And Moz, and, and, and Moz doing that yeah. together. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're going to, there's 50% of the residents right now that have signed up for those courses That's to correct. really learn that we sponsor and do too. So I think we've made a major breakthrough this year to be able hmm. to address your question. And I'm really happy you asked it because I've been thrilled about that because one of my most frustrating calls, you know, I ran GE Healthcare for years, right? So MRI, CTs, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's always technology. And when you have new technology, you'd run to the universities like Stanford or Yale and you'd say, okay, I have this new MRI, 3T, and they'd, oh, we love it. You know, let's take it in. You go when you go to see an orthodontic institution and say digital orthodontics. You, I just you just think that there's something stuck on your nose. Okay, (laughs) and I'm not used to that from an (laughs) academic institution standpoint. And it didn't make sense to me. And then as you dug down, we found I felt we haven't been as generous with those programs as we Mm. should be. We're trying to be more generous in this change. Okay, well I know young orthodontists will appreciate it. And again, I. I'm not complaining about the four cases I did. Everything's an evolution. So, yeah. But you uh, can't learn on four cases. You just, uh, you know. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I learned how to log in, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it was good. But I learned after the fact. It was okay. Yeah. Fortunately, there are resources out there, one of them being the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. Shout out to Jonathan Moss. Yes. Um, yeah. But then also just got help from lots and lots of different doctors. I mean, the really early years of the Facebook groups, I was in a really fantastic group called Orthodontic Exchange. And we would discuss aligner mechanics. I mean, it was like Moz and Jonathan, some other like really wow, talented people, uh, Heather Hopkins, some some really like smart people, yeah, people who, who really get it. Yeah. You know, they really get the aligner stuff. So yeah. I was very privileged to to really learn after I got out of residency on on aligners. So and I feel like I'm uh, good enough to be dangerous at this point. So a um, couple more questions. Um, we we were talking. There was a little bit of a spirit of like maybe some questions that I don't know if they're like difficult questions, but questions that people ask. And I think there's an underlying like. Um, nature of I don't know if it's distrust towards Invisalign or Align rather and I use those interchangeably but maybe some things that uh, you may feel misunderstood about and so we I've tried to cover most of those today and hopefully I did yeah um, are there any other areas that I missed that you feel like misunderstood about both as a CEO but also as a company yeah 
Now, I, you know, I think, I'm glad you bring it up. I mean, when you come into this, when you first come in and you see uh -huh. at times you know, some of the orthodontic reactions, it yeah. makes you scratch your head because yeah. Yeah, I think there's a thing with companies, Kyle, and you know, I love business since I've done my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. I love technology and business. That's why this role fits me so well is there's this thing with people when they look at a company sometimes, I think they look at it as this kind of automaton. You know, this kind of, mm -hmm. this just stoic entity that's trying to extract profits and make as much money as they can, right? The fact is, it's a group of people with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And what it do, and, and often those people, they're just people. We're excited about what we're doing, whatever. And I think that's the misinterpretation of a line. We're not trying to dominate practices. We're not trying to tell you how to practice. We're offering a service of digital orthodontics to try to, we think, make you more productive and to bring more patients into your office. And at times, I think that's misinterpreted for us trying to control or trying to do things and that's we're not trying to control we're trying to help and I think that's the essence of what frustrates me at times sure yeah I would I would feel that frustration too so and hopefully some of these things you've been able to clarify help people in those ways um, so I got one final question yeah uh, again I hope everyone's enjoyed this um, I've enjoyed it it's been great yeah, me to hang out and talk um, so uh, now that there are you know so the game has changed a little bit the paradigm has shifted there are several other clear aligner options that are on the market today, mm -hmm. um, including in-house aligners, which we touched on just a little yeah, bit. Sure. Um, considering all this, why should orthodontists still choose Invisalign? Yeah, I think first of all is, I think we're the best option in the sense of, we've been around for 25 years, we should be better than anybody else, or shame right. on us, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you spend $300 million a year and not lead in that sense? So I'd be almost embarrassed. Sure. Uh, but secondly, I, I just, let's break this up on two planes is why use us. One, I'd say clinical efficacy and confidence in finishing. If we've done 12 million cases, we rake those cases with AI constantly to figure out what we can do. That's why you see G7, G8, mm -hmm. soon G9, right? These are changing movements, changing things. We've, you learn over time what works and what doesn't work. You know, what causes posterior open bite? How do you change that system? That's what we came out recently. So clinical efficacy, and secondly is confidence in closing that case the way you want to close it. Mm. The other side of it is just basic productivity. When we talked about five minute clean check a second, we call it live update, right? Yeah. It's just putting processes in your hand to make you and your staff more productive because that's, let's face it, you know, again, your time is incredibly expensive. And your technician's time are predicted. The more people and patients you can exercise that over, the better. We think we have the most productive system out there, too. Well, sure. Well, it's the system that I use. And, again, this has not been sponsored by Align, but it is what I use. And I am grateful, of course, for all that you've invested into our profession. Of course, I'm grateful for you doing this uh, interview as well. And I hope it's been helpful to other people. Um, thanks for being so forthright, being so honest, being so open, not holding back on these questions and these answers. Um, I say this in my notes, which I have notes. If you're wondering, my wife Anna, she she cuts these out and puts them on these little cards, which is very sweet. <laughs> she sounds so, like a good one. Thank here. you. She's the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as a CEO, it, it should be said of a company as large as the line, you didn't have to do this, and so I appreciate you for doing this. I know you're flying out to Chicago after this, and so yeah. I really appreciate it. you. Maybe flown in this morning, flown out tonight. I have no idea what you're up to. So, uh, but I appreciate you for doing it, and uh, I hope that it helps uh, you know orthodontists understand you better, understand the line better. And be able to make uh, you know conclusions about your company and whether they work with your company or not 
on the facts as opposed to maybe something they've heard. I appreciate or that. Something they've perceived. So yeah. um, I do want to give uh, some kudos to Neon Canvas. I'm sitting here now because they sponsored me. Um, that I do co-own the company, so disclaimer alert. Um, you can learn more about us. We work in 43 states and Canada, and we help grow the practices of orthodontists. And so we can deliver you more new patients. And you can go visit us at neoncanvas.com to learn more. If you'd like to learn more about Invisalign, well, I'd recommend reaching out to your local Invisalign rep. I'm sure they'd be glad to talk to you. You can also attend their biennial. I don't use that word very often, but that is the correct word. Invisalign Ortho Summit, November 18th through 20th in Las Vegas. Um, it's always an excellent meeting. I love the Invisalign Summit. Um, and it's a great chance to learn more about the cutting edge of Invisalign clear aligners. My band, Relapse, will also be there, so you should come. Did you know that? You may not have known that. I didn't know you were on Relapse. I'm in Relapse. Yeah, I, I play, some of your other I play, musicians I play, yeah, I play, yes. I play the drums, so you'll have to see. That's I may wear great. a wig for you. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, it's actually a, a, a Phoenix band. Was Gin Blossoms? Aren't they out of Phoenix? Yes. Okay, we're going to check. You're like, yes. <laughs> I know they had those three big songs back in 1994, <laughs> but uh, we may do a Gin Blossom song just for you. Um, I also want to thank everyone who listens to this uh, on Apple Podcasts. Of course, there's people watching this as it debuts live, but also you know many, many months afterwards, and so they're enjoying it there. I would love it if you'd subscribe. Give us a five-star review. That would be great. We're at a 4.9. I'd love to get up to a five. You're probably just assured with you know, I just got some one-star reviews asking for five-star review, but what, what can you do? So while you're at it, if you're not a member of my Facebook group, The Digital Orthodontist, there are 5,500-plus orthodontic industry people in there that would love for you to join. Uh, lastly, we're only a few weeks, you know, relatively uh, from the AAO 2022. We're finally back with a big AAO meeting in Miami. Um, it's another relapse plug. We're doing a party. That's all we do is I straighten teeth, I do podcasts, and I play drums. Uh, but we're throwing an enormous Miami Vice-themed party, and you're invited, uh, Friday, May 20th. It's the night before the AAO begins, so plan to fly in for Miami on that Friday so you can come to the party. You'll hear more about it, I'm sure. And then I have a lot of thank yous that I've got to do. Uh, first, to you, thank you for spending this hour or so of your time, whatever it was that you were doing. Thanks for spending it listening to us. Thank you also to Dina, to Madeline. To Kent, to Frank, to Spencer, Sasha, and Shirley with a line. That's a lot of people to help yeah, me. That's, You're like, that's a ton. That's yeah. a good team. They were very great to work with. Um, and then also thank you to Alan, who's in the room. Thank you, Alan. We waited at the airport for a couple hours this morning for whatever reason. Shared a biscuit together. It was great. Uh, to Scott, to Tom, and to Alex from Neon Canvas for all their help. And uh, that's all we've got. So from all of us here at the Digital Orthodontist Live, I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala signing off. <laughs>